Good morning. My name is Mark Hoffman. I am an elder here, worship director here, and just what a beautiful service of worship this morning. It really is a beautiful thing. Well, let me pray uh, before we dive into the word together. Lord, we are grateful that you are present with us. We're grateful that you are at work in your people here this morning. We just pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds through your word today. Help us to learn what you want us to learn today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, who has a favorite fruit? Anyone have a favorite fruit? How about bananas? Anybody like bananas? Yeah, right? Bananas? So when you go to the store and get bananas, do you get the the black, mushy ones? No? Some people like to get the green ones. Maybe a little bit green. I like them a little green, right? Just a little firm. The the mushy ones, though, those are bad, right? You wouldn't want to buy those, right? Yeah, I agree. Well, who's been strawberry picking before? Who likes strawberries? Yeah? Right? And if you're going to fill your basket with strawberries, you want to search and get all the moldy ones, right? And fill your basket with the, the moldy, drippy ones? No, that's gross, right? Like, why would you pay for that? Well, today Jesus is going to teach about good and bad fruit. He's going to teach about good and bad trees and good and bad fruit. And in Matthew chapter 7 right now, he's wrapping up this long sermon that he's given to his disciples, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's been contrasting things. You might call them kingdom contrasts. Last week, Mark Barnes explained uh, the difference between the narrow gate which leads to life and the broad path which leads to destruction. And in the coming weeks, as we finish this sermon of Jesus, we'll, we'll see more of these kingdom contrasts, those who claim to know Jesus versus those whom Jesus truly knows. Or a house built on sinking sand contrasted with a house built on a rock. And today Jesus presents us with the contrast of a good tree versus a bad tree, good fruit versus bad fruit. And his teaching begins with a very specific warning that we just heard Lee read. So let's hear this warning again. Jesus says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus says, Beware. Pay attention. Be careful. Take notice. Be concerned. This is an imperative. It's a command of Jesus. He's saying, I want you to be vigilant. Be on the lookout all the time. For who? False prophets. So if we want to know who these false prophets are, we, we really should know what a true prophet is, right? So often we think of prophets as people who predict the future. And this is certainly true when you read the Bible. You see prophets in Scripture predicting the future, but we also need to think a little bit more broadly about who prophets are and what their function is. Here's a definition of prophets. In the Old Testament, a prophet is a person, either male or female, who functions as God's spokesperson and is commissioned by him to deliver his word, either to individuals or to groups. 
in the New Testament, a prophet is one whom God has equipped alongside apostles, pastors, and teachers to lead the church through the edification and encouragement of believers. So if we could take all of those words and kind of mash them down and summarize them into a short definition, I think it would be helpful to think of a prophet as someone who leads God's people by speaking God's word. It's someone who leads God's people by speaking God's word. So then what is a false prophet? Well, in the the Greek word for this is literally pseudo-prophet. Pseudo-prophet. It's almost like air quotes. Be on the lookout for those prophets. And instead of leading God's people by speaking God's word like a true prophet should, they mislead God's people by twisting God's words. And they come wearing a disguise The Bible tells us that God's people are like sheep, right? Like we're a flock of sheep, and the Lord is our shepherd. Have you all heard that verse before? Well, these false prophets dress up like one of the sheep. They look like one of the flock, but who are they really? Really, they're the big bad wolf. And not only are these false prophets like wolves, Jesus says they are ravenous Wolves. So picture a wolf that's violently hungry and ready to tear into its prey. The word translated ravenous here also can mean aggressively greedy, thieving, or swindling. So they're greedily stealing what doesn't belong to them and devouring it. So if, if that's what a false prophet does, they, they mislead God's people by twisting God's word. How are these false prophets... Ravenous. How are they stealing and devouring? Well, they're stealing the hearts and minds of God's people. They're devouring the faith of the sheep as they lead them astray. And they're stealing from God himself. Not only are they devouring the sheep of God's flock, they're stealing away the glory that God alone deserves in order to glorify themselves. These are the false prophets. But here's the thing. They're wearing a disguise, right? So how will we know who they are? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 16. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. So now Jesus is painting a different picture for us of the false prophets. First, he compared them to wolves. And now he's comparing the false prophets to trees, Fruit trees. I actually have a fruit tree in my backyard. It's kind of cool. We moved into our Rolling Meadows house seven years ago, and we discovered in the summer all these berries on the ground by the garage. And I wasn't sure what they were. They looked good. They looked edible. They kind of reminded me of blackberries a little bit, and I, I wasn't sure what they were, so I, I Googled it, right? I got the berry, and I Googled it, found out that these were mulberries. We've got a mulberry tree in our backyard. So then I did the next logical thing. I Googled recipes for mulberry pie, and I made a mulberry pie, and it turned out really well, actually. And 
right now is the time during the summer when this thing is dropping mulberries all the, they're everywhere. We can go out there practically every day, get mulberries, wash them, put them in the freezer, make pies, you know, put them in your cereal, yogurt. I mean, they're really good. Free fruit, right? Good fruit. But how did I know what kind of tree I had in my yard? I knew by its fruit, right? The mulberry tree produces mulberries, right? Mulberries. And this is exactly what Jesus is teaching his disciples about recognizing false prophets. He says, look at the fruit. What comes from them? Is what they say and do good? Do they cause good things to happen in the church? Or are they twisting God's word and causing bad things to happen? If they're like a tree, do they have good fruit or do they have bad fruit? And Jesus uses a strong word when he says we'll recognize them. He's telling his disciples by looking at the fruits of these false prophets, they will fully, clearly, and thoroughly see who these prophets, false prophets, really are. He says in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Jesus gives a ridiculous example. It's almost comical. The disciples would be like, no, Jesus, that's silly. Grapes don't grow on thorn bushes. We all know this. But that's how Jesus is making his point. And he explains, no, no, you're right. Good trees... Bear good fruit. And bad trees bear bad fruit. It doesn't work any other way, does it? The New Testament was written in the Greek language, and it's helpful sometimes to look at the actual words that were used in the Bible. And some of our English Bibles, the translations from the Greek into English, um, if you look at them, they might only use the words good and bad. Like good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. And that's okay because that's easy to understand. But we can learn a little bit more when we realize that the the text is actually using some different words for good and bad. And I'm glad that our translation today, the ESV, did use some different words to attempt to give us a better sense of what the text is, is saying and what the words mean. Some of our Bibles might say, the good tree bears good fruit. Our verse today that we read says, the healthy tree bears good fruit. And that word translated healthy in Greek is agathos. And it refers to an inward goodness, an inward intrinsic goodness that produces an outwardly good result. That's the good tree. That's the healthy tree. It's good and healthy deep down on the inside. And what does it produce? Good fruit, right? Now, that word for describing good for the fruit is a different word. It's kalos. And it refers to a visible goodness. It's an outward goodness, an outward manifestation of good that results in something that's useful and beautiful. 
This kalos is the same word that Jesus used earlier in this sermon in Matthew chapter 5, verse 15, when he said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, your kalos works. They can see them and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's good fruit. That's good fruit that brings glory to God. Now let's look at the bad. Some of our Bibles might just say a bad tree bears bad fruit. And here the ESV reads the diseased tree bears bad fruit. The diseased tree is the sapros tree. Sapros is spoiled, corrupted, rotten, unwholesome, and unusable. And the diseased tree produces bad fruit or paneros fruit. Different word. And this Bad fruit in the paneros sense is also outwardly spoiled, and it's worthless. Not only is it rotten, but its rottenness spreads. It makes other things rotten, too. And paneros is really an outward expression of evil. Jesus has already used this word also. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we already said it today. You might recognize it when he taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the paneros. That's the bad fruit, same word. That's bad fruit that turns people away from God. And that's how Jesus tells his disciples to recognize these false prophets. He says, look at their fruit. What do you see coming from this person? Do you see something outwardly beautiful that gives glory to God? Or do you see something outwardly bad and self-glorifying? Do you see words and actions that build up God's people and point them towards him? Or do you hear words and see actions that tear God's people apart and lead them astray? God does not like bad fruit. And these false prophets will get what they deserve. As Jesus says in verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit, kalos fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is judgment. Makes very clear how God feels about those who selfishly mislead his beloved sheep. And so Jesus repeats himself to make the point. He says, thus you will recognize them, you will Really and truly know them for who they are by what? Their fruits. By their fruits. So as the disciples are hearing Jesus teach about these false prophets, who do you think might be coming to their mind? Perhaps the scribes and Pharisees. They've already been described as hypocrites. Several weeks ago, Stuart pointed out that hypocrites are actors. They're pretending to be something that they're not. Kind of like, oh, a wolf in sheep's clothing, maybe? And looking back even earlier in Matthew, John the Baptist is teaching about false prophets. uh, Or, sorry, John is baptizing people in the river. And um, in Matthew chapter 3, here's what happens. He, He sees many of these Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism... And he says to them, you brood of vipers, oh, now they're snakes, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. 
Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Now there are trees again. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And earlier in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had already called out the scribes and the Pharisees for their faulty understanding of God's word and their self-righteousness, for their showy, self-exalting displays of worship through giving and prayer and fasting. So what was the fruit of the Pharisees? What fruit did they bear? Well, pride, power, self-righteousness. And then the people that they were leading were led astray by trying to please God by striving to live up to the rules that they could never adequately keep. That was the fruit of the Pharisees. It was bad fruit. But Jesus' warning goes beyond just the Pharisees of his day. If you jump ahead to the end of Matthew, just before going to the cross, Jesus was teaching his disciples about signs of the end of the age, and he warned them about false prophets. In Matthew 24, it tells us that as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So did you catch that? Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. This is a true prophecy from a true prophet, Jesus Christ. And as we have the benefit of being able to look ahead further in the New Testament, we can see that false prophets did creep into the church. False prophets were spreading false teaching about Jesus and about the gospel. And we can see the fruit of these New Testament false teachers. As we read Paul's words in 1 Timothy, he says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine... And does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction. That's a lot of bad fruit. And we can fast forward even through 2,000 more years of church history to the present day. Are there examples of people who have led other, other people astray through false teaching from the Bible? Yeah. Are there instances of leaders who seemed to be sheep, 
but turned out to be wolves? Absolutely. And what does their fruit look like today? Well, it looks like the same fruit that Paul described. And unfortunately, it's become all too common to see a leader fall into scandal, a leader of successful ministry, leaving behind the bad fruit of conceit and controversy and quarrels and envy and dissension and slander and suspicions and friction. So what can we take away Today, from this teaching of Jesus, when Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's teaching us too, right? So what do we take away? I think we can say Jesus wants us to be on the lookout and be in the word. There's one pair of takeaways. Be on the lookout and be in the word. Remember we said a false prophet misleads God's people by twisting God's word. We need to be on the lookout for this. And we need to know God's true word in the Bible so that we know when someone is misusing it or twisting it. I'm so thankful that here at Meadows we are committed to God's word. Baptists have historically believed the Bible to be the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. I know that's a lot of words, but what that means is that We read the Bible, we hear the Bible, we preach the Bible, we pray the Bible, we study the Bible, and we do our best to live the Bible. We must be in the Word so that we can be on the lookout. If we know Scripture, then we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Amen, brother. And when we know the truth of the Bible, we'll know when a false prophet is misleading us. In fact, God's word must be the one and only standard by which we measure everything, whether it is a politician or a news story or a book or a movie or a cultural movement because God's word alone is true. And if we are in the word and on the lookout, we'll be able to recognize the difference between truth and falsehood and the difference between good and bad fruit. I couldn't help but think of this teaching as we would apply it as a guiding principle to our pastoral search team. We're having our first meeting tomorrow night, and I'm excited about it. And as we get to the point where we're examining candidates, we're not just going to be reading resumes and checking their references and looking at their education and their experience, although those things are important. But we really want God's word to be our guide. Does this man meet the biblical standard of an elder and a pastor? Does he live according to the word? Does he know and communicate God's word well in his preaching? Is he building up the flock through the word? And in addition to this, our job is to recognize him by his fruits. What fruit has been displayed in his ministry? in his relationships, in his marriage, and in his family. If we're in the word and on the lookout, God will lead to us the pastor that he has chosen for Meadows Christian Fellowship 
and we will know him by his fruits. Be on the lookout and be in the word. And here's one more pair of takeaways. Be rooted in Christ and be fruitful in Christ. See, Jesus wants us to recognize that it's not just the false prophets who are like trees. We're all like trees. We all bear fruit of some kind. And let's be honest, sometimes we bear some not-so-good fruit, don't we? I'm thankful that we were able to repent of our sin today. We bear bad fruit and remember that it was the diseased tree that bore the bad fruit. Sin is the disease that is at work in the human heart, which causes us to bring forth bad things in our lives. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, the answer is God does. God understands our hearts. And that's why he sent a Savior. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ, God knows that to get good fruit, he has to heal the tree. So Christ came and he lived the perfect life. And he died on the cross to take the death penalty that we deserved. And he rose again to ensure victory over sin and death and eternal life for all who place their faith in him. And he sent his spirit to claim us as his own and to transform and to heal us on the inside so that he can continually be cultivating his people to be healthy trees. Trees who bear good fruit for his glory. This is the message of the gospel. And this is what bearing fruit in keeping with repentance looks like. Repentance, as we've said over and over, turning away from sin and turning to the Lord in faith, in submission to him and to his kingship in our lives so that he can heal us and make us fruitful for him. In the the very same chapter where Jeremiah wrote these words, about our hearts being desperately sick. He warns us, but he also has a message of hope. Hear what he says. They're really the words of the Lord from a prophet. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But here's the hope. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree. Planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. And does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We must trust in the Lord. We must place our faith completely in Christ Jesus in order to have life and forgiveness and to bear good fruit for his glory. 
We must be rooted in Christ to be fruitful in Christ. And we can bear the fruit that Paul wrote of in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as we examine the fruit of our lives, look at the fruit. The things that you think, the things that you say, the things that we do, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the way we treat our families, all these things and more. Our fruit on the outside is an outgrowth of what's on the inside in our hearts. Just like we can look at mulberries and know that those came from a mulberry tree. Good fruit coming from a good tree. We can look at the fruit of our lives to see what kind of people we are on the inside. Examining the quality of our fruits tells us about the quality of our roots. Jesus says in John 15 to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, or remain in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Same warning. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So as followers of Jesus, let's be on the lookout and let's be in the word And let's be rooted in Christ and let's be fruitful in Christ. For by this, God is glorified. That we bear much fruit and show ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we just are so thankful to you for the beauty of your people worshiping together here. Lord, this is good fruit this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word and for fruitfulness that comes through being rooted in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we think this morning of the fruitful life of Virgie Niece, longtime member here, Lord, who passed away recently. We thank you for her fruitful life. And we celebrate that. Lord, we also pray for comfort and peace for her family as they grieve. Lord, we thank you for new life. We thank you that Allison and Julius are expecting a girl soon, a baby girl. 
Lord, we pray for your health and protection and for comfort and peace for them every step of the way. And Lord, as we think of life, we thank you now for the countless lives of unborn children which may now be saved as a result of the recent court decision. But we also recognize that there are many real and complex problems that remain in this country. Lord, we need you. Our nation needs you desperately. And we pray that you would heal divisions and bring your peace and your wisdom to bear at this time. Lord, we pray for those who are sick, those friends and loved ones are struggling with their health now, Lord, we ask for your comfort and for your healing. And Lord, today, as we leave this place, we just pray that you would help us to be on the lookout and to be in your word. We pray that you would help us and keep us rooted in Christ so that we would be fruitful in Christ. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all God's people said, amen, amen.